the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Welcome back to the second hour of the Bob France Authority. I'm Kanye Lamar in for Bob France. Thanks for all your. Uh, Facebook Live messages and texts I'm getting. Uh, appreciate it. Um, hope I'm entertaining you. Hope you're learning something. Uh, because you definitely will. The second hour, I got a good friend of mine in studio with me. Uh, Jeffrey Sindelar Jr., who is my, he's my legal brain. Uh, Harvard Law graduate. Um, and litigator in town. Uh, in a prominent law firm here. So he's, we're going to be on, we're going to be talking about bail reform. Uh, which is a, an issue that's being discussed here in Cuyahoga County. And uh, Jeff, being a former candidate for Common Police Court, uh, is uniquely qualified uh, to talk about this. And uh, I'm glad to have him in studio with me. So we'll be talking about that. I'm going to get you your calls because some of you have been holding on a while. So uh, first up, uh, Sister Mary Grace. Are you there? How are you? Are you there, Sister Mary Grace? Okay. Uh, we're gonna, okay. Uh, next, uh, we got Jim in West Park. Are you there, Jim? Yeah, I like your Obama derangement syndrome. Keep it up. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I don't mean to sound like a bootlicker, but I love your Sunday night program where I can go from Mansfield Frazier to yours to Cunningham, and your sidekicks are so entertaining. Uh, this, but but I wanted to ask this guy, your your buddy there, about this. Didn't. Did, did, didn't this guy go all the way back to the Beirut barracks, by, killing the Marine barracks in, in Lebanon? Uh, that was a question that I had. Uh, and uh, let's see, what else have I got here? This IED imp- imp- 
improvised explosive device. He developed this EFP, Explosively Formed Penetrator. Correct. Which is just a monster of a weapon. You don't even, it's like setting a mouse trap. You don't have a mouse in your laundry room and you want to get rid of it, you know, and Correct. you can just set this thing and na- nail this guy. But, uh, What's his name? This this Ron uh, was on the, uh, uh, what's the, the uh, Kelly and Company. He said, "Yeah, the salami guy. We clean him off the desert floor with a tweezers and a sponge. <laughs> Solid liquid to gas." Hey, thanks for taking my call. Love your program. Thanks, Ron. Keep listening. I appreciate you. Uh, okay, we got line uh, six. Is that Lisa Woods? How are you, Lisa? Hey, good morning. Good morning. So super to hear you, Khalid, this morning on the radio. I appreciate it. Good to hear from you. Lisa's always been a big supporter of ours at American Trinity Project, so, uh, you know, we love Lisa. Lisa's on the uh, state school board, so very important woman here. You guys do good work, and you reach out to the, the, the young ones that really need to hear the message, and I just so value that. Yeah, you know, our model is... uh we're trying to rid the world of lefties one kid at a time. That's <laughs> that's, that's damn to see that we, that's a little private thing we say. <laughs> well, thank you for all your hard work. Absolutely. And I, I want to thank you to, for, for doing things with the school board as well. Oh, it, it's my pleasure. Indeed. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of messes out there, and uh, I'm kind of like that mom that walks into a room and says, oh, my goodness, who made this mess? <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> it's so complicated. Policy is so rough to, you know, drag through, but it is so important. So it is, it is my pleasure, and it's an honor to serve in this way. Sure. Indeed. Um, what I wanted to tell you is we have a meeting tomorrow at the Copper Top, and it's our first one of the year, so we decided to started off with a bang. <laughs> so we have um, Andrew Bluebaugh, who is here from, um, well, he's with Buckeye Firearms. He's with Apex Shooting and Tactics. He's also a full-time police officer. And uh, I've actually trained under him, and he's just outstanding. And he's excited to uh, talk about the Second Amendment. And it would be a great opportunity for people to bring some of the uh, younger fellas and girls and guys alike, but um, to hear that message and understand how important our Second Amendment is, and I think he'll he'll do it in a way that will shed a new light on the subject as well, coming from so many different, you know, military, uh, police officer, um, the whole the whole bit. Yeah, and and that's something that uh, Dan and I are working on. We're working on a forum for uh, our, our Liberty Lounge concept, which you were there and Jeff was there. Uh, we're working mm-hmm. on a uh, town hall type of or format for uh, the red flag laws to discuss those red flag laws, which are a big constitutional issue right now. Yeah. And it, there's some major uh, tension going on in places like Colorado, Virginia, uh, where these sanctuary counties are being formed uh, who will refuse to enforce uh, state law when it comes to firearms confiscations and things. So, this is a hot issue, so uh, definitely people want to come out and, and hear what you all have to say in Medina at the Copper Top. So um, I've been yeah, to meetings sure. before, but Dan always usually makes it because his schedule is a little more flexible than mine. But uh, definitely people right. should come out and listen to you. Yeah, it's at uh, 830 uh, tomorrow morning at the Copper Top Restaurant in Valley City. Sometimes it's mistaken with Valley View. It's actually Valley City. 
And uh, we, we're done at 10, so they can folks can get on with their day. Um, there's always coffee and some goodies to eat, and just we really enjoy uh, everybody to come out and hear the message. And then hopefully, you know, grab a friend when they come and uh, tell their friends and neighbors afterwards, because this is how we grow the conservative ground. You know, we have to pull our friends and neighbors over the fence and, and help them understand why these, these issues are so important to us. Yeah, people, you know, you got to show up. So definitely, so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll definitely uh, mention that at the bottom of the show and uh, appreciate your good work. And I hope to see you soon. Oh, thanks. Me too. Me too. There's right. so many events and it's fun to <laughs> see, you, see you so often. Yeah, we, 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 we get around a lot. <laughs> we sure do. All right. Thanks, Lisa. All right, well, thank you so much. Absolutely. Yeah, this, this is, uh, you, you know, folks, if, if you really want to fight for liberty, you, you got to show up. That's the thing, because the, the left shows up. They, even if even if they get together and, and wear stupid hats and, and, and make silly signs, that they show up. So if you want to fight for these issues in your local communities, you you, you got to go. you got to show up, because there's lots of people doing some great work on the ground there. Uh, they're trying to get the message out about some of the things you should know, especially with your school board. Uh, with your local city council, some of the laws are being passed. You hear some amazing things when you go to these meetings about things that are planned for you while you're not paying attention. And as the saying goes, uh, how do you know, uh, if you know your, know your rights, how do you know when they're being taken away? Uh, you find out a lot of disturbing things that these people are planning for you while you're not paying attention. So, you know, you can miss a night of dance with the stars to go out to some of these meetings. Uh, <laughs> Yep. So our next segment, good friend of mine, uh, brilliant legal mind, Jeffrey Sindelar Jr. will be on. We'll be talking about bail reform, which is a, a, an issue in Cuyahoga County that's being discussed and it's being implemented around the country. So we'll be talking about that in the next segment. I'm Khalid Namar in for Bob France. We'll see you on the other side. Welcome back to the Todd Allen Show. I'm loving this music. <laughs> I'm sorry, not the Todd Allen Show, the Bob France Authority. I was just warned not to do that. So you jinxed me. I'm talking to the producer. Bob France Authority. I'm Khalid Namar, in for Bob France. I got my little sign here in front of me, and I did it right the last time. <laughs> but you said Bob, Bob messes up too, right, sometimes. I'm Kelly Damari from Bob France. Um, got a good buddy of mine in the studio. Always love talking to him. Uh, former common police judge, litigator here in town, Harvard Law graduate, Jeff Sindler. How are you, Jeff? Good, Glee. Good to be in the studio and a common police judge candidate. You're, you're going to get me in trouble. Common police judge candidate. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thought of you instantly to talk about this subject because a few months ago on our show, we did a story on the, a guy who was arrested in New York City on the subway for all kinds of things like 18 times. Wow. 18 times. And what's happening, and finally on the 19th time they decided to keep him in jail because he had tried to push a woman on the tracks or something on the subway. So I guess, you know, they, I guess he really crossed the line the 19th time. 
so, so I thought about uh, I thought about this story because I'm thinking, okay, there's a lots of, of cases going on in New York City where people are being let out without bail, and then they're they're committing crimes, and then they go back to jail, and then they let them out again, and then they do something else, and then they do something more serious. Then the light is shed on the fact that they were constantly put it back out on the street without bail. So now we have bail reform going on in several cities and Cuyahoga County is talking about bail reform. On the one hand, I could agree with some of it. On the other hand, I think there's some balance there that needs to be achieved. So why don't you, cause you're well versed in this issue. Why don't you break down what is bail reform? What are some of the pros and cons of it? Yeah. So bail is, we usually, we usually think of bail as you get arrested, you have to pay some, you have to pay some money to get out of, uh, out of jail. So it's not really what bail is. Bail is the condition of pretrial release. So you're arrested, you haven't been proven guilty, you're still innocent. So are we going to keep you in jail or not? The way you make sure someone comes back is you release them either on their own recognizance or you make them pay a certain amount of money. Uh, the, the problem we're seeing is that some people are being held when they really don't need to be held, and it's, it's because they just don't have the money to come up with it. Other people who are a danger are being released because they have the money, even though they're a danger to society. So the, what we're looking at now is, is making sure that the, the people who should be released get released before they go to jail, and the people who shouldn't be released don't get released. Right. And so some of the, there, there's some constitutional issues, uh, with this. Explain what those are. So the, the Eighth Amendment, first of all, we know the cruel, the cruel and unusual punishment uh, portion of the Eighth Amendment. The the thing we're dealing with here is the excessive fines, and there's a provision that says that excessive bail shall not be set. There's also the idea that you're innocent until proven guilty. So until you're convicted of a crime, why is the government depriving you of your liberty? Mm-hmm. And what we're starting to look at more and more is how do we ensure that the public is safe prior to someone being convicted of a crime? but also that someone who hasn't been convicted of a crime is is free to go about their lives until they've actually been proven and adjudicated guilty in a court of law. So isn't that a judgment call, obviously, on the bench uh, to say, okay, this guy has been accused of theft from his employer versus a guy who has been accused of, you know, attacking women in parking lots around downtown Cleveland? And, you know, you have this guy, there's several witness accounts that this guy's attacked five women. Do you give this guy bail? Do you set it high to try to keep him there? Or do you make sure he gets out on the street? Because even though some of the evidence may point to the guy's guilt or culpability, that's a, a balancing act. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and the concern here is that we've actually conflated the two issues. So the, there are two concerns you have when you're setting bail. One is... Is this person a danger to themselves, others, or society at large? The other concern is, is this person going to show back up for their next court date, for their trial? And we've kind of just thrown all these together and asked, how much money do we need to solve the problem? What we should do instead, and what bail reform is looking at, is separating. And and this is already the standard. It's Mm -hmm. just we've conflated them. But what we should do is look, first of all, is there a public safety concern? If if this is someone who has been murdering people, assaulting people, a danger to society, even if they can post a billion dollar bond, we don't want to let them out. On the other hand, you know, if 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 someone's uh, arrested for for jumping a turnstile, or there, there was a case in I believe it was Toledo where someone had their pants sagging at an RTA stop, and that's considered trespassing because you're not following the dress code there. 
they, their bail was set at 150 or 157 dollars. A person's very poor, family's poor, they couldn't afford it. This person sat in jail for a week or two for for sagging his pants. Mm-hmm. And what we should really do is look at independently first: is this person a danger to society? If so, it doesn't matter how much money they can they can pay; they need to stay in jail. On the other hand, if they're not a danger, then we ask, okay, what what conditions do we need to make sure this person shows back up? For some people, it might just be, promise me you're going to show back up. For other people, you might need to make a make a financial commitment from them so that they know, hey, if you don't show up, you're going to forfeit a thousand or ten thousand or a hundred thousand dollars. So, when it comes to this issue, how is bail reform passed? Is it passed by a ballot initiative? Is it passed by a stroke of a pen by, you know, county government? How does this work? So so the process it goes through is uh, bail's currently um, dealt with in Rule 46 of the Ohio Rules of Criminal Procedure. Uh, civil litigators like me know the civil procedure rules more, but there's a, there's a similar set of criminal procedure rules. And Rule 46 is currently called bail, and it deals with the conditions for release and how a judge goes about setting bail. Uh, and the way you reform these rules is the Supreme Court of Ohio is in charge of them. They have a commission that looks at the rules, studies the rules, and they'll make a proposal. They they published draft rules earlier earlier in 2019. Then those are open for public comments. They receive the public comments, which can come from anyone in the public, practitioners, prosecutors, even even judges. And then you have groups like the you know this is an interesting issue because both the ACLU and the Buckeye Institute, which is like yes. a, a Ohio based uh, heritage foundation yes. group, excellent excellent organization. Yeah, and they they're they're both in support of this. It's where you know you know liberalism and libertarianism uh, intersect each other. So it's a it's a rare area. Uh, today, where you can have a bipartisan support for meaningful reform, and you know they received comments, they took them under advisement, and then they they re-released a new draft of the rules. Uh, the rules have to be submitted to the General Assembly on the fifteenth of January. The General Assembly can comment. The rules will be republished by the Commission again, and then I believe the Supreme Court uh, by May first or May fifteenth has to has to submit the rules again to the General Assembly, and unless the General Assembly votes. For them not to go into effect, they'll take effect July 1st of 2020. Okay, excellent stuff. We'll be back on the other side uh, to talk more about this issue of bail reform with my good friend Jeff Sindelar, Jr., litigator and uh, former Common Police Court candidate. Candidate. <laughs> candidate. I am Khalid Namar, in for Bob France on the Bob France Authority, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Welcome back to the Bob France Authority. I am Khalid Namar in studio with Jeffrey Sindelar Jr. We're talking about bail reform, which is an issue that is uh, being discussed in several states. It's got some bipartisan push to it. We're talking about it here in Cuyahoga County. And I thought Jeff would be a great guy to come in and talk about this because this is uh, you know his wheelhouse civil litigation. So there's a story that came out a few years ago, and it was a it disturbed me because I watched a documentary on this. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar, Jeff, with a young man named uh, Khalif Browder out of New York. This is very disturbing. I want to read a little bit of the story. Um, uh, Khalif Browder was a 16-year-old kid living with his family in the Bronx when police picked him up uh, off the sidewalk and charged him with robbery, grand larceny, and assault. 
for a crime he had not committed. A judge set his bail at $3,000, which was more than his family could afford. So Broder was sent to Rikers Island, New York City's most notorious and abusive jail, where he waited trial for three years. This is right what you were talking about. Three years. For at least two of those years, jail guards forced him to live in solitary confinement. When not in solitary, he was often beaten by guards and other inmates. Every now and then, the district attorney's office would offer him a plea deal, including an offer that would have let him leave jail that day for time served. But because he was innocent, Browder refused to plead guilty. After imprisoning Browder for three years, the Bronx district attorney's office dropped the case, dismissing all charges against him. There was no trial. Browder had missed years of high school and graduation. The trauma of jail and solitary confinement haunted Browder. Without a job or a high school diploma, he found himself unable to adjust to regular life. Two years after being released, Khalif Browder killed himself. And that, like, cut me to my core. Because this kid obviously wanted his innocence. He didn't just want to walk out of jail. He wanted to, to prove his innocence. Which let me know that he, re- he really was innocent because most people would just want to get out of jail. They'll say anything. But he had some integrity to say, look, I didn't do this. I don't want to walk out of here and be labeled a guilty person. And he eventually ended up killing himself. This is exactly the textbook case of what you're talking about, Jeff Sindelar. Yeah, this is this is one of the more extreme cases, but it really highlights what the problem is here. So you, you have a presumption of innocence in this country. You have to be proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in a courtroom before the government can deprive you of your liberty. But the way the bail system works right now, some people who are accused of a crime but cannot afford the, the cash bail they need to get out of jail will just sit and rot in jail for, for days, weeks, years in this case. And you know, think about how disruptive it would be. Just you know, Everyone think in your own life. If you were in jail for a week, let's say, for, for something you didn't do, w- would you still have your job? How do you explain that to your employer? What, what effect does that have on your children, on, on your spouse, uh, if, if you care for an elderly uh, parent or relative? It's, it's extremely disruptive to pull someone out of society. If they, if they commit a crime and are convicted, yeah, they should be deprived of their liberty, but it's, it's done through due process. Here you have someone who the, the state couldn't even make a case against, sat in jail for three years because he or his family couldn't come up with $3,000. And that's what bail reform is really focusing on addressing is people should not be deprived of their liberty just because they're, they're poor or because the amount of bail is so high that they, they can't come up with the money they need to get out. This seems like New York has gone from one extreme to the other. Because you have cases like this, and now they're just doing it with, with bail for some, even assaults. People are, have, uh, There was a woman a couple of weeks ago who walked out of jail on three different occasions for assault, only to keep assaulting people. So finally they decided to keep her on the fourth arrest. So it seems like they can't find that happy medium uh, to keep the public safe and also to uh, protect people's liberties. Yeah, this is this is a really tough issue, and I've, I've spoken to a, to a few different judges about this, and, and they say setting bail or setting the conditions of pretrial release is, is the hardest thing they have to do because there's there's downside both ways. If you if you deprive someone of their liberty, uh, all the things we just talked about, the disruption in their life uh, affects them. They're, they're deprived of their liberty, and that that should be the paramount concern. Also, though, as a, as a citizen of this country and as as a taxpayer. In the state of Ohio, it costs about $65 a day 
to, to have someone housed in a jail. And if you have thousands of people in jail for weeks, months, years, that's, that's millions of dollars. It's costing counties. And at, at the state level, I think that the Buckeye Institute uh, estimated that, that the state of Ohio could save $67 million a year with proper bail reform. So under what circumstances does someone receive uh, 10% uh, bail? In other words, as opposed to paying, say, the entire 3000 versus, you know, 300 on, on what terms is that set? So the, the, the court can decide, I'm going to set your bail at $1,000. You you deposit 100 with the court, and then when you get out, you get ni- you get $90 back. Uh, okay. so you're supposing you break your bail. The other type of bail we normally think of is, is the surety bond. Okay. And that's supposed that your bail is $10,000 or 100000 and you can't come up with that. You'd go to a, a bail bondsman, and you would give them... Ten percent, so so ten thousand or a thousand, or you you'd put a a, a a a hold on your house, and then you'd say, okay, you can you can seize my house. You have a security interest in my house if I don't show up, and then the bail bondsman would would keep the ten percent at the end in exchange for them posting to pay the full amount of the bail, and and you know, you know maybe having to hunt you down if you don't come back and show up for your trial. Wow, let's go. You want to take a call? Yeah, sure. Let's take a call. All right. We have Tim in Cleveland. He's an attorney. Tim, are you there? Hey, hi, Khalid. How are you doing this morning? I'm well. Thanks for calling. What's on your mind? So it's odd that, uh, you know, you got this topic on today because I'm actually heading into the office here and going to write a motion to reduce a bond for a client of mine. I do a lot of criminal defense work. And, uh, you know, I went to the jail yesterday, saw three guys. Um, the one guy's bond uh, that was set, and it's a 10% cash for surety, as Mr. Sindelar was talking about, um, he can't make it. I mean, he's uh, he's like 60-some years old. He's got a drug issue. Um, he has nobody that's going to post. I mean, it's a simple $500 plus about $85 of fees um, to post, and he's been sitting in jail probably since, I want to say, October um, because of this, you know. And uh, that's one of the biggest things I find with clients that we run into is not only the fact that they can't afford it, um, but when you have a surety bond versus just a straight 10%, they know that they're not going to get that, you know, 1000 or $2,000 if they have a $20,000 bond. They've got to give over 2000 to a, a bondsman that they're never going to get back. And, you know, that's a lot of money for most people. And um, that was a lot of money for me. <laughs> so, you know, that's... That's, that's, you know, the, the, the problem, and they're sitting in jail, and look, a whole other issue or topic could be done on the, the problems with the jail, um, and a lot of these guys, as of attrition by the state, keeping them in the jail, they break, they fold, and they take a plea, because I have clients that would rather be in Lorraine County Prison than the Cuyahoga County Jail. Yeah, uh, I definitely know that. Um, it's, so are you an, an, uh, a vocal advocate of bail reform? Are you working uh, on this issue to get you know people to buy into this? You know, it's, it's, an interest, it, it, it's a double-edged sword because, I mean, you do have guys that, you know, if they've got a lengthy criminal record. They've got, you know, multiple case numbers dating back 10 years. And, yes, they're innocent until proven guilty, and I'm a criminal defense attorney, so I wholeheartedly believe in that. But, like, you know, Jeff was saying the purpose is a veil to protect and, and, and the community and assure that they're going to, you know, show back up in court. Right. And that's the two main purposes of the bond. There's about five other different factors to consider, 
You know, was a gun involved? Do they have family in town? Are they a flight risk? You know, um, things like that. But I think there needs to be something done. And, you know, I've had discussions with judges and in and, and our bar association. And there's got to be something done for these guys. I have a, I, the guy I saw yesterday, another client, he has mental health issues. Um, hasn't had a case in probably, I don't know, 10 years. Um, his, he can't make bond, you know. And, and his is more of a mental issue. I mean, he's, he's definitely got some mental problems. He'll probably be on the mental health docket. Um, so there's got to be something done. Uh, I agree we need to keep those who are repeat offenders, and they're definitely a threat to society. And you, you usually see the bigger, you know, murder cases, <clears throat> rape, robbery, they will get a $100,000 bond or a $250,000 bond or a million-dollar bond. And the fact is they're more than likely not going to make that. Um, but for the smaller things, the drug possessions, people with drug issues, um, and that's another factor. <clears throat> you know, a lot of the judges will set a high bond on a, on a uh, somebody who's got a heroin addiction because they don't want them to get out of jail and go and kill themselves by overdosing, right. you know? Yeah. So it, it's a really tough area, and I don't I don't know. There really is no good answer. It's just uh, we got to find some kind of, you know, yeah. play between the two. Yep. Thanks for the call, Tim. Appreciate your insight on this. Um, Jeff Sendelar, you want to weigh in? Yeah, I think what Tim said there really highlights one of the big issues and why I think they really need to bifurcate the consideration of is the person a danger to society or themselves, and how much money does it take to get them to come back to jail. If you're, if, if you're afraid that someone's going to get out on bail and then kill someone else or overdose on heroin, you shouldn't be letting them out for any amount of money. That should be a pure public safety consideration. And then until you make that consideration, you don't even get to – uh, how much money is required to get them to show back up. And that's, you know, one of the things that the Buckeye Institute has criticized on this. And if you, if you want to learn more about this, just, you know, Google uh, Buckeye Institute bail reform, and they have some great resources there. But one of the big issues is that judges are saying, well, I, I don't want to have to say that I'm not going to let this guy out at all. So I'll just set this ridiculously high bail amount, and then they won't be able to post bond and they have to stay in jail anyways. And that, that's not what the system is designed to do. And it, it, it pushes up against those Eighth Amendment concerns we were talking about. Yeah, and I think one of the issues that we talked about, uh, you and I previously, is these Bill of Rights that are so important. Um, it, it's less attention paid on things like Sixth Amendment right to counsel because there's a lot of people who I've, who I've talked to um, – who don't have the ability to even get an attorney. And if they do, they get a public defender whose first option is to get them to take a plea. Uh, and, and they seem to want to fight their trials, but the public defender, some of them, some of them, I'm not pigeonholing them, don't have an interest in necessarily doing that. They just want to find out what is the best way for the guy to, to take the plea. And they're saying, look, I want to fight this. Mm -hmm. uh, so those are very important issues. Sixth Amendment right to counsel and the excessive bail, uh, uh, what's Eighth Amendment? Yeah, Eighth yeah. Amendment, mm -hmm. first clause of the Eighth Amendment. Yes. And, and th th these are important issues and why, you know, an issue I always harp on is the rule of law. We, we're so concerned with partisanship these days, and how do I say my team is right or wrong? Uh, you know, people would talk to me and they'd say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a law and order guy, but I'm also a big Eighth Amendment. I'm also a big, you know, criminal procedural rights guy. And I've, I've represented people pro bono. I've, I've done appeals of people, uh, some of whom I, I, I even believe were guilty, but I, I think that their rights were violated in the process. And you know, most lawyers, I think, still agree very much, whether you're, you're more on the left or on the right. 
it is it is crucial to our functioning republic that you have these protections in place because what you know whether you're you're, you're a big lefty and you're just concerned about the government wrongfully imprisoning people or if you're a you're a small government guy like me the, the the biggest exercise of power the government has is taking someone's liberty or their life, and that's why we have to pre- protect these criminal procedural rights so vigilantly. Yeah. So, and I agree with you because this is why I'm a big fan of people like Jonathan Turley, uh, a liberal, but he's a true civil libertarian, and Alan Dershowitz, true civil libertarian, because it shouldn't matter if you're on right or the left. We all should agree on civil liberties. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Jeffrey Sendlar Jr. is my guest. Thanks, Jeff, for hanging out. Uh, you don't have to go. You can still hang out. Got a last segment coming up. I'm Colleen Namar. I'm having fun today uh, here on the Bob France Authority. I want to thank Bobby Cam for allowing me to sit in this seat. Uh, we're going to come back for the last segment. If you got a call, please join us, 901-0945 or 888-281-1110. I'm Colleen Namar. We'll see you on the other side. Back to the Bob France Authority. I'm Kali Demar for our last segment. We got a couple of calls. Jeff, you want to hang out for a couple yeah. of calls? All right. We got Mark from Cleveland. How are you, Mark? Uh, doing very well this morning. Yeah, I was just uh, driving in my vehicle and heard you guys talking like, with the bond. Uh, a lot of times how unjust it is. And I was falsely accused of a crime. I'm like, uh, you could kind of compare me to Judge Kavanaugh. Uh, I had $1 million cash bond in my head. I've never been in trouble in my life. Uh, I had a lying detective just, just ruined my life. I was number two to get out of Cleveland police force. I was a realtor. And you talk about that young man who killed himself. I mean, just the torment and everything I went through. They took my son from me, gave me back to, gave him, gave him back to his abusive mother. Uh, you know, in this, in our judicial system, they talk about you're innocent until proven guilty. <laughs> Come to find out, no, you are guilty and you have to prove you're innocent. And we're all one false accusation of uh, going to jail and definitely you know I, I could understand and see a lot of these guys that you know they don't have the money or the funds but i didn't have a million dollar of cash and i sat in jail for 15 days 15 days felt like 15 years to me yeah. uh until uh the bond commissioner came in and then said oh yeah you know this detective lied with everything there's no truth to anything what he said and i got out for like twenty five hundred dollars ten percent of that but you know it, it's just it's just a shame how the system is, uh, there are good and bad in all like yes. the judges, uh, the prosecutors, uh, every walk of life, you know, yeah. but I just want to make my comment on that. It's just, it, it's a shame. My life still has not been the same. You know, what got me through this was my deep faith, uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ that got me through this. Uh, that, that's the only thing that got me through it basically. But, yeah. uh, yeah, that's, that's a shame. That's a real tragic story because, uh, thank you for your call, Mark. Um, what I've learned throughout this entire, I guess, year-long process where we had to sit through the Kavanaugh hearings, where we've now sat through uh, a lot of other public uh, spectacles. Right. People, Russian, Russian collusion. Yeah, Russian collusion. <laughs> People, and this is, this, is the, this is the cohort truth, people don't care about the crushing power of the criminal justice system so long as it's crushing someone they don't like. That's what I pay attention to. I pay attention to the people who speak out and on behalf of people who they don't necessarily like or agree with. That's why I respect Alan Dershowitz so much, who's, who will tell you all the time, look, I didn't vote for Trump. I didn't, I didn't, I voted for Hillary. 
I sent money to Hillary. But if I see something wrong with regard to civil liberties, I'm going to speak out about it. Uh, I defended Joe Biden against accusations of him being a, a perf because in the politics of personal destruction, they will come out and say you're either a racist or a perf. This is how they destroy you. I don't agree with that. And people need to understand the criminal justice system crushing someone or making false allegations against someone isn't okay just because you don't like the person, which is why at the American Trinity Project, myself and Dan Messina, we give young people unpopular individuals for which they have to make a case to defend them regardless of how they feel about the person. You have to make a determination whether their rights were, were, uh, were violated or not, a dispassionate analysis of it. And, and it shouldn't matter how you feel about the person. You should be able to make a dispassionate analysis as to whether or not that person's rights are violated. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, this, this, this talk reminds me of there was a, there was a, there was the labor secretary under, under Ronald Reagan, uh, Raymond Donovan was, was accused of wrongdoing, you know, he's smeared in the media, eventually gets cleared of all charges. And then he asks, okay, wh- where do I go to get my reputation back now? Yeah. And that, and that's what happens is even if you are innocent and you're innocent until proven guilty, if you get accused of a crime and, and taken out of free society, that's going to cause irreparable harm to your life, and we 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 need to minimize the extent that happens uh, to defend our rights under our constitution. Yep. Let's take a last call. We got uh, TJ from Cleveland. How are you, TJ? Yep. Hi. What's Hello. On, yep. What's on your mind? Yep. Well, you know, in America, unfortunately, not just in the criminal justice, uh, but everything, money talks. You know, not to get off the subject, but every year they post in the paper delinquencies, the taxes. Uh, utility bills, and you see these big companies that owe $20,000 in past electric bills or past taxes. Nobody shows up to foreclose on them. The illuminating company doesn't come out and pull the plug. But you or I get behind $100 on our taxes or our utility bill, they're out there instantly to shut our service off or foreclose on our home. So, you know, it's always and the same in the criminal justice department. If you've got money, you get justice. If you don't, you won't. It's a shame, but it's like that almost in every aspect of American society. Yeah, I agree. I, and I'll, I'll say this because it, this brings to mind something I've said, uh, uh, you know, as of late. When I hear these politicians on television saying no one is above the law, I mean, we know that's a lie. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> we know many people are above the law. And I can list example after example after example. Uh, the, the, the weight of the criminal justice system, particularly at the highest level, chooses to crush and squeeze certain individuals who have a lot to lose in order to get bigger people. Um, the judge in the Paul Manafort case, and just to deviate for a second, he told the prosecutors uh, in the first, uh, I think it was his first criminal case, you're not interested in the financial crimes of Paul Manafort. You're not. <laughs> you're hoping that he'll sing uh, and in probably some cases compose in order for you to go after uh, the president, because this guy has a lot to lose. And he's sitting in solitary confinement. You threatened his family to take his home so he can cooperate with you. Hopefully you get some more information because the weight of the criminal justice system should not be applauded because it's crushing someone you don't know. I'll give you the last word. Yeah, I mean, you you were talking in the first hour about the FBI's abuses of the whole FISA process. And that's yes. that's really what is most scary because they're, they're giving – as close to unfettered discretion as you get. It's in camera. They say, hey, we want to target Khalid. 
normally in an adversarial process, you get to come forward and present your own evidence. Obviously, in surveillance, you can't let the let the target know he's being surveilled. And when when law enforcement uh, violates that trust, it it is very scary from a civil libertarian perspective. But it's also very scary because now we're losing trust in our law enforcement and our security apparatus, and that that is a great danger to our country. Yeah, and it's more. I, I want to do more work in this area to educate people. Hopefully, with your help, you got some work to do because I really want people to understand what their rights are and how to protect the rights of others because to protect others' rights, it's to protect your own because it could be you next. That's what we tell people. Uh, it's not about who you like or you don't like. You better stand up when you see injustice against someone, I don't care who it is, uh, because it could be you next. And I think that's that's key in, in this whole issue. And bail reform is an issue that uh, we're going to stay on top of and, and see how, because in Cuyahoga County, you're going to hear more about it, folks. And I think you have to, uh, to uh, really pay attention to this. And also, I want people, thank you for joining us today. It's been a fun, it's, it's almost uh, time to go here. Uh, let me know on social media, on my Twitter account, Khalid Namar, uh, on Facebook, Twitter, what you thought of the show, um, what you thought of me, whether you thought I was a scoundrel today, whether I ticked you off. <laughs> but anyway, um, thanks for joining me here on the Bar France Authority. I am Khalid Namar, and it's been fun. I'll see you next time. Thanks for Jeff Sindelar and Scott Yulink, my guests. I'm at Khalid Namar uh, on uh, Twitter, Khalid Namar on Facebook, and Khalid Namar on Instagram. See you on the other side. And thanks to my guest, Scott Ulinger, CIA. Uh, you can get him on uh, Twitter at the Station Chief on Twitter. Take care. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it and i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flint with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com